Welcome to the Bomb Shelter, your weekly journey for the miraculous world of film. Welcome yeah, back yeah, to yeah. the Bomb Shelter. This is episode 11. We're coming in energetic this time. My name yeah, is Yeah, hell yeah. We got Pat on the other end of the line. Let's go. It's me. Let's go. Let's get super pumped up. We got two movies and we're super pumped up to talk about them. It's a special episode. That's the first ever Bomb <laughs> Shelter double feature. Whoa, 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 whoa. Come on, right. come on. And, and, and we'll integrate yes. some, some double feature packages into yeah. our <laughs> in, indeed. voting system yes. more in the future. Because of course. what's better than one movie? Uh, two movies. Two. <laughs> and what's better than two? Three. But we're not doing three. For now. We're, we're not doing for triple now. features for now. All one, right. One day. One so, day if we're, if we're desperate enough. Our double feature presentation this week is the yes. live action CG hybrid Garfield franchise that ran from 2004 <laughs> yes. to 2006. Bill yes. Murray voiced the titular cat. We have yes. Brecken Ma- Meyer and Jennifer Love Hewitt as our human protagonists. Yes, which I was shocked. I was shocked that Jennifer Love Hewitt wasn't either of this movie, these movies. You know what? I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll later get into it. Good, good, for, good for both Brecken and <laughs> yeah. They were in this. Yeah, good, good, good for Brecken. Hey, Brecken, you're you're stepping up to the big leagues, buddy. I, I have a lot of love in my heart for Brecken Mayer because he was in an episode of what I think is the best sitcom ever, and that is Party Down. And in the the entire episode, he's basically he's basically doing a Matthew McConaughey impression, and it's spot on. Really, it's really good. Yeah, like like a dazed and confused Matthew McConaughey because you got to specify which McConaughey we're talking about. I guess, like, topical McConaughey. I, I think Party Down came out in 2008, so 2008 McConaughey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So this is a pre-True Detective and Interstellar and all the good movies he made. This well, is like he made, post, he made Ghost of Girlfriends. Movies then I mean, you, you just named Days this is, Confused yourself. This is Ghost of Future Past. Uh, Ghost of Girlfriends Past, uh, Matthew McConaughey. That we're talking about here. He, he sounded similar, though. That's that's like his his thing that he sounds <laughs> in a very particular yeah. way. Yes. All right. All right. Time to flat circle. Yeah, I know. I, I know. There you go. But before we get into uh, this amazing double feature, uh, there's there's a <laughs> yeah. film that, so that came say. out a for the fact that it was so so controversially discussed. And in development for yeah. so long, it appears that so the long. box office performance and critical performance of The Flash hasn't quite lived yes. up to this uh, discourse, to the level yeah, of discourse I, that it has caused. I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> I wonder why. So, oh my God, there's so many things that's, that are going on in this movie. It's, oh, yeah. uh, I like I liked it, but it's a mess. It's a so, mess of a movie. Spoiler alert for The Flash. There will be a timestamp yes. in the description. We're telling you now. If you just want to skip forward to us discussing the Garfield franchise. But we're going to talk about The Flash <laughs> yeah. for a bit. And we're going to do it if in you this... want, <laughs> If you want what you came here for, skip ahead to the time code that we're going to specify in the description of this episode. Hey, because hey, otherwise hey. you're going to get... 
A fistful of flesh. Spoilers. This this is a movie podcast. At the end of the day, this is a podcast. And at, this at the movie end of the day, was this inf- about the Flash movies. was infamous before it even came out. Yes, that's a great point. That's a great point. It should probably be on the schedule for this show, but we're just gonna talk about it now and put it to rest forever because I don't really want to watch the Flash again. So uh, the format that we've, we've chosen to do is this: I'm gonna ask pat some questions about the flash we've both seen it but he is a much bigger comics nerd than me i am yes in case pat ever has questions about sports we can do this the other way around where pat asked me a bunch of questions about sports but this isn't really a sports podcast now is it so no it's a it's a movie when we do like a sports movie i'm gonna be like hey max did you like the balls that the sport plays with yeah. How about those uniforms? How about how about the size of that pitch? How about that? There you go. <laughs> how about that gridiron? Is I the, don't know. Was the gridiron regulation size? And I'll go yes. And then yeah, and that'll that'll be the podcast. <laughs> and, then, and that'll be the entire podcast. It's like thank you for coming here to talk about Rocky Five. We're gonna go home now. <laughs> this is done. Basically. All right. So, so we're gonna. So you dive got some flash into, questions for me, bud? We're gonna dive into the flash. We're not gonna describe the plot. It's still in theaters. If you want to make up your mind about it, go see it. Right. Yeah, sure. At the start of the film. This is a fact-based question. Yes. Right? What I'm hitting you with at first. Okay. At the start oh, of the film, awesome. we see yeah. the Flash being conjured to basically clean up a mess caused by a rescue effort from this universe's Bruce Wayne, who still yes, looks like Ben Affleck. Affleck. My question by is... Batfleck, yes. Is Batfleck really bad at being a superhero? Oh, he's terrible. He's a he's a menace to society. I mean, all the Batmans are kind of bad at being Batman in terms of like being effective superheroes. Christian Bale is Batman is probably the one that gets the closest to like actually being effective with like all his military equipment. And I mean, he did save all of Gotham City from a nuke, so I guess that gives him points. But Ben Affleck, ever since the first time you see him, like Batman v Superman, like he's like in his murder Batmobile, like a gun car, and he's like going through like silos full of gasoline and like running over people and like destroying public property. And he does the same in this movie with his motorcycle. He's like destroying people's cars. He is doing. He's he's a guy that's more. Um, He's a he's a brawn over finesse sort of Batman, but yeah, he's he's terrible at being a superhero. Like he comes in, he wrecks your shit because he's Batman. All right. Now my first opinion based question is: Sure. What are your thoughts on the effects during this hospital rescue sequence? Oh man, the computer I mean, the generated entire... effects. To be to be very clear. Yeah, I mean, part of it is the fact that like. I mean, my feelings about the effects are like these are these are very lazily finished effects, and then you learn that a lot of them were like AI assisted, and you're like, oh, so that's what they look like, shit. And then Andy Mus- Muschietti, Muschietti, whatever his name is, comes out in like media the day after the movie comes out, and he's like, well, if the movie looks kind of weird in certain scenes, that's on purpose. And I'm like, I don't think that's on purpose, bro. I think you yelled at your VFX artists to finish it in time, you know, to like meet a deadline, which is what happens often with these like CGI blockbusters. It's like, it's not that the VFX teams are not 
doing a good job because they are. All VFX artists are doing amazing work. It's just that they're constantly being pressured to do stuff better and better. And for example, the Marvel people, they're always like, well, uh, the effects in Quantum Mania aren't that great because the half the artists had to leave to do Wakanda Forever at the same time. And that's why both movies have that kind of half finished sheen over all the effect shots. And so did Thor. Like, yeah, my feelings about the effects industry in general is can be perfectly summarized in the all of the effects in Flash. But I mean, those babies are like horrifying, right? Like those ba- like that sequence is supposed to be funny. And it's a very like goofy, campy, Flash like sequence. Like he's rescuing the babies and he's like taking a break to eat a bunch of burritos. So he has his calories back up. And then he can, like, put one of the babies in a microwave so he's safe from a flamethrower. And then he throws another, like, a tank and another one of the things. And then that's a very Flash-like sequence of, like, him saving a bunch of babies in slow motion. But the problem with that is that the babies look so unnatural. And the entire, all the CGI characters have that weird, like, gloss on them. Like, they haven't applied the textures correctly. It's very strange. Okay. Now, back to fact-based yeah. question. Could present-day sure. Barry, when he first travels back in time to save his mother, on his way back to the present, not have yeah. just gotten back into the Speed Force after being pushed out by the Dark Flash? Oh, 100%, but he doesn't for some reason. Cool. Next question. Why would... <laughs> The Michael For, Keaton version of Bruce Wayne be in hiding. Why would he be in hiding? Oh, um, because he's old, and also, uh, he says this in the movie. He's like, "Well, I say I stopped all of crime. Like Gotham has zero crime. So, like, we when you have no crime left to punch, who is Batman? You know what I mean? Like, if you have no poor people left to punch as a billionaire, you have to use your fortune for other things." Which is mainly, I guess, pasta. I guess pasta just buying a lot of pasta. Wine. Pasta and drinking wine straight from the bottle and very nifty scarves. Because there, there's a scene in this movie when Bruce Wayne is just like, as Bruce Wayne, he's like shaved. He's like had his hair cut, the whole thing. And he's just like standing in the Batcave with like a shirt with an open collar and like a little, a little like, like a tie scarf under the shirt. I'm like, yeah. That's Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne right there. He's spending all his fortune on scarves. Right. I I, I guess, yeah, Bruce Wayne doesn't really exist as a person without Batman. I, I guess I guess that is... Yeah, exactly. I guess that That's works. That's why he, he becomes a hobo immediately. He becomes a hobo when he's not doing Batman A rich Batman hobo. Stuff. Yeah, look, Christian Bale did the same thing. His leg got all fucked up and he started growing like a gross depression beard. And he had to have like Alfred send maids to give him food and he has like an archery set in like one of the rooms yeah without batman bruce wayne is not it's nothing because it's not bruce wayne it's just batman there is no dana only zool right right okay now exactly another fact-based question when did supergirl decide that humans were worth saving um i uh when she saw i think zod kills one of them she's like no Oh. I think that's when, I think that's when she decided. I think also, what the way she decided is like, oh, you just you didn't just leave me behind. And Barry's like, no, I'm not a fucking monster. <laughs> like that's, that's what gives her some hope in humanity. And then it's like, 
but they're getting crushed by ants. I can't let them do this. And then she gets pwned multiple times. All right. By Mike, by, by phoning it in Michael Shannon. How dare you waste Michael Shannon like that? Well, Tour de force performer Michael Shannon. He, he, he basically came out and sort of um, expressed his discontent with reprising the role of Zod in the context of the Flash film. Yeah, no, because he's so good in Man of Steel. He's so he's like scary. He's just, he's just, he's the best part of Man of Steel. Like how scary he is, like sells you on this idea of like, no, Michael Shannon is a guy that could kill Superman if he wanted to, and and that's what makes that movie kind of work for me is that the villain is so good, and then you just waste him in this movie, man. Does nothing. Given how the movie ends. Was the inclusion yeah. of the Burton Universe Batman and the new Supergirl ultimately a waste? Yeah, because here's the—I mean, here's the thing. Look, I—I I tend to think of this whole wave of like multiverse-related movies as like it can be in two avenues, right? And both avenues kind of like devolve into like, hey, remember this? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm excluding everything everywhere all at once from this because everything everywhere all at once is dependent on genres and less on IP and not on IP. So when you go into like the Spider-Man No Way Homes and into the Spider-Man Across and into the Spider-Verse, you get references obviously to other movies, right? You get references to the and you get like characters from the Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, right? But what's cool about them is that they put these characters into the movie and they and when they do it, like whatever their mechanism is for introducing them into the movie cuz like multiverse magic is already dumb, like it's it's already Marvel, it's dumb. But like when Andrew Garfield comes into the Spider-Man universe, he's not he's not just Andrew Garfield in a spider costume. He is that character again. Like, they put that character back in the movie, and they give him context, and they give him, like, an arc. Because, like, the movie ends, and you're like, I mean, Andrew Garfield is probably going to go back to his universe with, like, a weight lifted off his chest. And the fact that No Way Home does that is very impressive to me. And movies like this, and movies like, I don't know, Ready Player One, just put characters into a movie without context and expect you to be like, well, having... I don't know, Freddy Krueger in Ready Player One counts as having a character and like pe for people to point at and do the Leo DiCaprio meme and be like, oh my God, it's Freddy Krueger. But the Freddy Krueger thing doesn't really work because Freddy Krueger is cool in the context of being a dude that kills a bunch of people on Elm Street. You know what I mean? If he's just like running around the Oasis with a bunch of people that are gunters, as I remember in Ready Player One, He's just if he's just running around the video game world with a bunch of gunters, then like the reference doesn't even make sense. It's not that character. It's a representation of that character. It's a stand-in for that character because you're removing all of the context from it. It's the same with this movie. This movie just puts in Michael Keaton's Batman, and they don't do anything with him as a character. He's just he's just Michael Keaton in his Batman suit with the Batman music. And they're just like, nope, he's he's the same or something approaching the same as the 1989 and 1991 or two movies. 
we've done nothing with him. He's learned nothing. He's the same character. And even when he, even in the terms of like, he's the same character, it's just like, he's a very bland, superficial version of that character. There's one scene in this movie where he's like, he's removed the suit. He's like stitching himself up in his bathroom. And then he looks at himself in the mirror and he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, that's the character. That's Michael Keaton's Batman. He's a psychopath. And you need to give me that so I feel like the character is back. But no, it's just Michael Keaton cosplaying himself, basically. And when it comes to Supergirl, it's just like, well, they gave her nothing of a character. And I wanted Sasha Calle to play this character a little bit more. And now she doesn't get to. And it's sad. So, in terms of Supergirl, right? There was a Supergirl TV show on the, C on the CW where the yes. crucial mistake that they made was that they made that shoot they made that show female superman because supergirl yeah. is not just female superman no no she's not and when i mean James for marketing Gunn, reasons it is yeah but for storytelling reasons no well in terms of the powers but yeah in terms of who they are as people and when James Gunn announced that the Supergirl movie would be based on Supergirl, it's is it Woman of Tomorrow, the comic? It's it's Woman or Girl of Tomorrow, but it ends in tomorrow. There you go. So that specific story showcases who Supergirl is, you know, in terms of her yeah. personality. And I think we saw yes. a little bit of that different personality when she's when she goes oh fuck humans fuck her what the fuck is this i'm, I'm yeah of course I, I the thing is like uh so this version of supergirl is like clearly like she clearly has a reason to like not like humans and it would have been interesting to be like well how does she come to have the responsibilities of a person with superman's powers on planet earth because like again like she goes to Barry and she's like, do you know what the symbol means? And Barry's like, it means hope, right? Like it's like, it's a, it's a, 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 a scene or a take that could be clever, like a clever spin on the Clark and Lois scene from man of steel, but it wasn't, it was just, Hey, you remember this? You remember when we did this in the other movie? doesn't really mean anything here because neither of these characters were in that scene in the original movie. So it means nothing to no one except the audience. And yeah. And it's a that's movie not... that's 10 years old and not, it's a movie it, that's it's 10 not years really old. that well regarded because other multiverse films. I mean, I, I like back and referenced old. I like films. man of steel. I, I like man I of steel a lot. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's in, like, I, as far as like Zack Snyder movies go, as far as like the Zack Snyder DC movies go, I really like it just in terms of like, it's, it's not trying to be the Christopher Reeve Superman by any measure. Like the sh no, nothing crystals, no sh bright colors. Like the fact that it really grapples with like a sad Superman is like, I mean, I respect it. And the action looks really cool. And Michael Shannon is amazing. And like that's, and the score is great. The Hans Zimmer Superman theme is amazing. Let's get into some quick fire questions to wrap this Flash section up. First, sure. Did the Flash create these other weird spinning worlds that we saw in the Speed Force when he traveled in time so much? No, uh, Warner Brothers did at different points of their existence. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. Okay. No, it's the it's um it's the multiverse. 
like it's the idea i mean well if we go with the explanation for the multiverse that michael keaton gives in this movie then yes that's the idea it's the fact that when you travel in time and you change a lot of things you keep changing like the nexus points and like keep changing the past and the future which is like really just an out of their way explanation for like why do you look so old it's like well you're not that far from ben affleck michael keaton <laughs> you could just be like no i'm i'm bruce wayne <laughs> whatever um yeah it's technically yes but also um because the christopher reeve superman and because the Nicolas Cage Superman and the Adam West Batman existed before this version of The Flash, I'm just going to go, no. And this movie was lame for even attempting to <laughs> establish that he did. To canonize it. Okay. Now, yeah, again, it's not a canon quick fire answers, Pat. That's what I just said. So, Oh, sorry. I apologize. No, we're good. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. So, okay. do Blue Beetle, the upcoming Blue Beetle and Aquaman 2 take place in this new universe that is established at the end of the flash um technically i mean we don't really know it uh, yeah, this aquaman is, this is, is supposed this is an opinion based question yeah Aqu aquaman is supposed to be a standalone uh blue beetle is supposed to be the first dcu like james gunn dc movie um i don't think so i think james gunn is just going to wash his hands of all this crap <laughs> all this all this weird crap Okay, so they created this new timeline in order to potentially just erase it all. Yeah, of course. All right, okay. That's how, it work. That's how it works. So then probably my final question, I think I know the answer to, is George Clooney the new Batman of the DC Universe? No, <laughs> I hope not. It's a fun joke. It's a fun joke you know for what? the end of this Flash movie, but I mean, no. It was announced that, that he would... Uh, well, no. It was announced that... The director of The Flash, Andy Muschietti, would do The Brave and the Bold. And yes. For a minute, I did think, yeah, I guess, I guess George Clooney will be Batman in The Brave of the, the Brave and the Bold, and then the bulk of the physical performance will be done by whoever plays Damian Wayne. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, sure, but I don't, I don't think George Clooney wants to, which is the first thing. And then the second thing is, again, I just think James Gunn wants to get rid of all this stuff. And that would be like ignoring the fact that previous to the Warner Brothers Discovery merger and the James Gunn hiring and him being like the new head of DC Studios, there was going to be a Batgirl movie with Michael Keaton as Batman. Like they yeah, were going to have Michael Keaton as Batman. The, 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 en the ending, the original ending to this Flash movie would have probably been michael keaton walking up to the flash instead of george Clooney. yeah yeah of course like i i think that's what the ending probably was at the beginning it was just michael keaton being like hey what's up how you doing and then the flash is like oh so you're still batman cool that's fun that's fun that's a fun little thing which i would have loved i, I love michael keaton's batman my favorite live action batman so the, what we're saying is that they basically left the door open to either stick with this timeline, because they established that in this new timeline, Aquaman is still the same. And they've yeah. written themselves into a position where they can carry over what they like and get rid of yeah, what they sure. don't like. And if That's, they decide that they don't like Ezra Miller, then they can get rid of this timeline altogether. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, 
I I can't imagine a better Aquaman than Jason Momoa. Right. So that's probably if they keep something, that's probably the one thing they're gonna keep because it's the one character that's not like embroiled in controversy or like a bunch of like sexist stuff or the fact that Gal Gadot only wants to do Wonder Woman movies with Patty Jenkins, like all that stuff. Like and Ben Affleck clearly doesn't want to be Batman anymore. He's clear he's so checked out. Um yeah, no, I just I just think that again what they like they're going to carry over and if there's nothing that they like they just restart and that's it. Like new Superman. They're going to do a new Superman anyway and the new Batman. So like just do those things to begin with, you know? A new older Batman in in The Brave and the Bold, I would imagine, you know? Yeah. Batman, Batman as a daddy. Yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah. That yeah, a new version of Batman, exactly. A, an interesting one with a cool version of live action Robin finally. It'd be finally. cool to see. All right, that was our little detour into the Flash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I hope you enjoyed into that. Into the first ever bomb shelter double feature, we're gonna yes. get started with the two thousand four film Garfield. Pat, would you mind telling us what two thousand four's Garfield is about? Um, first of all, it's Garfield colon the movie. Um, that's ah. the first thing. Uh. Okay. So Garfield colon the movie is about, uh, I don't know if you know this, but there is a very popular comic strip titled Garfield, which is about a fat orange cat who hates everything and everyone, um, including his very nice owner, his very nice dog that he lives with, and every person in his life, basically, or, or animal. So the idea in this first Garfield movie is that he's living with his owner, John Arbuckle, who is just like... If you could just take a man out of, like, a stock photo that you would put in a picture frame, that's what this guy looks like. <laughs> that's what, that is what this, what's the name of this guy? Um, Brecken. Brecken Meyer. Yes. Brecken Meyer looks like a stock man, like a stock footage man. Um, so he's living very happily, very lazily, right, because he's a lazy cat. He spends his days torturing one of his neighbors, like, mentally torturing one of the dogs in his neighborhood. And also, I would say uh, all the animals really, in his neighborhood, all the animals in his neighborhood, but mostly this dog that he knows is dimwitted and he just puts into situations where he's like trapped up and has to like shake his ass in front of him. Um, and he also spends part of his time trying to condition John into like having his life be only about taking care of Garfield, etc. etc. And one day, uh, John goes to the vet where he finds the love of his life, uh, Liz, who is played by Jennifer Love Hewitt, as we established previously. Jennifer, and in a fun mix-up, he's like, I'm gonna uh, ask her out, Garfield. But instead of asking her out, he accidentally says yes to adopting a puppy. Uh, and it's a dog named Odie. And Garfield is very jealous of this new dog because he's taking up a lot of John's attention. Uh, and then a couple of hijinks ensue. And Odie gets lost, right? And he gets picked up by this guy who, by the way, I mean, I love, love this guy. I love Happy Chapman. Um, he gets picked up by this television and this media has been called Happy Chapman. Who's like, oh, I saw this dog dance at a dog show once. He's my ticket to an Emmy. And he kidnaps the dog. He takes the dog. He puts a shock collar on him to force him to dance like a monkey in front of strangers. And to flip. And that's going to be. And to flip. Because again, that's going to be his ticket to an Emmy. Everyone knows that's how you get an Emmy. And Garfield 
feels real guilty. He feels real guilty. So he's like, ah, oh, man, I'm going to go rescue this dog. I mean, he doesn't feel guilty because Garfield is a terrible, terrible character. He gets guilt tripped by his friends or by like his neighborhood animals into going after Odie. Right. So he goes after Odie. He saves Odie. Uh, John and Liz start dating and they take Odie and Garfield back to their house. And Garfield dances to the uh, Baja Men song Hala. <laughs> and that's the end of this movie. And also the Black Eyed Peas is Hey Mama. Oh, yeah, but that's in the middle of the movie. The song Hala by Baja Men plays twice during this movie. Once in the opening credits and once during the closing credits. Oh, yeah. The only thing I could think was, oh, they really thought these people were like, going to become super famous off of Who Let the Dogs Out. And they didn't. <laughs> um, well, yeah. It, n- nothing against the, 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 the members of the Baja Men, either nothing former, former or current. I'm, I'm not <laughs> entirely sure. It's a novelty song, and people should have known better. It's a very novelty. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like La Macarena. It's like whoever wrote Macarena is just performing that forever. <laughs> they're they're just doing that forever. Yeah. All right. So uh, yeah, that's the movie. Um, Max, we normally have to say good things about this movie, and my first thing, and the only really thing that I can say is that I have two things. One. Uh, the Garfield CGI. Yes, the character design is a little nightmarish, but surprisingly, the CGI holds up. So I was not, I was very surprised to learn that the CGI kinda holds up. They don't really attempt to make uh, to make Garfield look realistic, and I, I think that is no. the correct choice for both of the yeah, films. Probably. By the way, yeah, probably they but, don't uh, even they attempt. give him like they give him realistic fur and stuff, and like realistic and like. He has, like, weight to him, and when he interacts with, like, actual live-action characters, it's like, you can see the seams, but it's also because this movie came out in 2004, so I gave the, so I, like, I, there's a lot of stuff that I give a pass to in terms of effects, because, like, I mean, this was 2004, you know what I mean? But for the, for the most part, if you look at him, you're like, yeah, holds up, I mean, I don't like the way he looks, but he's very well rendered, he's, like, very carefully rendered into every frame of this movie. There's some hover hand going on when John is hugging or petting Garfield. But you really only notice that if you like are truly, truly paying attention to it. It's yeah. not quite touching him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's just like you can see the seams and you can see kind of like when the when it's interacting with the real world, it's a little iffy. But again, 2004... They're not making this in like a volume in the Disney lot. Well, no. Or whatever. Like, yeah. You know? In, ter- um, in terms of positives yeah. for me, there is a song that uh, <laughs> Bill Murray sings as Garfield. It's a slightly altered version of the song New York State of Mind called New Dog State of Mind. And and I have to be honest, that did make me laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That made me laugh. That that was really funny. <laughs> there's there's a surprising amount of Bill Murray singing in both these movies. Um, I have a I have another positive here. One of the positives was the CGI thing, and the second one. Um, if you're a, if you're eight years old or six years old, this movie, lots of hijinks, lots of 
situations that would make a little kid laugh. I remember I I like when I saw the first one and it started to play the music like the Bahaman music. I'm like, "Oh, I saw this 5000 times when I was a kid and I just never I just didn't remember until now." Like it like it unlocked a memory the kind you unlock during therapy. You know what I mean? Of like just watching this movie a lot. Right. And I was like, "Oh, I I remember this movie and I remember watching it cuz I was a little kid and I thought that uh Garfield maliciously kicking over Odie multiple times was funny. Sure. Yeah, it's it's a live action cartoon. It's a it children's is, yeah. film that ultimately doesn't offer that much to adults. Yeah. Uh because I got uh, one more note. Those those films are the exception to the rule, if we're honest with ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, I have one more positive note. Do you have any more positives? All right, let me. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, that's how that's how hard making this show is. Is like when the movie's real bad, we we have to dig for good stuff to say oh, yeah, about I, it. I wrote down that this is a movie that that I would watch uh, whilst perhaps uh, uh, on some substances. I I bet you oh, I, I yeah. would have a great time whilst watching this movie after smoking uh something substances yeah yeah kind of right like this it does kind of lend itself to that i guess um for sure i got one more i got one more positive note and it kind of applies to both movies both of them are less than an hour and a half long which Boom. like can you imagine <laughs> can you imagine i mean i I didn't have to imagine. I saw them both, and they were over quite quickly when it came to movies. Yeah, an hour twenty and an hour twenty-five. I'm checking both of them. There, it's um, it's in, it's insane how like so many movies we watch now are like three hours long, and then it's just like a a, a movie and a half is like what? An hour and a half movie? What? Well, it's crazy. Yeah. So uh... I guess I guess we should go into I guess we should go into bad stuff again. Max Max texted me and he was like, I don't really have a lot to say about this. Can I just ask you questions about the flash? And I was like, I'll talk about Garfield if you don't why, want why, to. why did why did you have to blow the whistle like that, man? Come on. What the fuck? It's, it's I mean it's fine. It's it's very it's just very funny that like half an hour before we started recording, he's like, Hey man, I watch both these movies. I have surprisingly very little to say about them. Yeah. Um I, I have a yeah, lot I of mean, we, interesting observations that we'll get into in a bit. I mean, yeah, I I think um, if we're going to go into, like, serious reasons why this movie is kind of bad. Because, again, they're all invalidated, I guess, by the fact that this is a kid's movie. But how we said, we've said this before, being a kid's movie doesn't mean you have to be terrible. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to, and I'm going to apply this to this movie. Um, Yeah, I guess the main problem is the character of Garfield. He's just aggressively, aggressively miserable and misery inducing. And he's. He's like he's like a, a gr he's like a black hole of entropy where all positivity goes to die. Wow. And the character and the characters around him become worse. Like they frame Odie as like a oh, he's a sweet little dog. But then the dog, as soon as he enters Garfield's life, he's also like jumping on the couch and pushing him off and like <laughs> doing malicious things to Garfield. And you're like, do you want us to like this cat and this dog? Because like Bill Murray. As hard as hard as he's trying, he's not going to make us like him. You know what I mean? 
isn't that kind of the nature of Garfield would be my question. Yeah, but I mean, if you're if you read the comics, the comic strips, what kind of makes that work is the fact that Odie is a dog and he's dumb and he and like first of all, the fact that they're all cartoons and they're all designed in a way that's very charismatic and cheery or whatever. Yeah, Garfield is just a curmudgeon. He's not evil. Like he's not constantly trying to destroy John's relationship with Liz. Like he's not he's not actively being like no, I'm. I need to be the center of attention. He's just like, hey, just let me sleep. And I hate Mondays, and I love lasagna. That's his character. That's everything he does. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, I mean, it was just the fact that everything in this, there's just, there's an unappealing nature to the main character of this movie that I was like watching this, and I was like, if this was like a normal rom com, like no Garfield or whatever, Garfield would be like, imagine Shallow Hal. Cause have you seen Shallow Hal? I put it on the list earlier. I put it on the list of movies that we might watch here. I've only heard of the gimmick. I've not seen Shallow Hell. Oh, okay. But so I, I'm not going to use something that's specific to Shallow Hell, but there's a lot of like early 2000s, late 90s rom coms where like the guy has one friend. He's got one friend who sucks. He's got oh. one friend who's like, hey, you're going to stop hanging out with me because of that broad. Like they. They say stuff like that, and he's like always like, "Hey, come on, are you gonna leave me behind?" Like he's the friend that the main guy has to be like, "Hey, you're terrible, and my life is gonna be better if I leave you behind and I go for the girl or something." Damn, Garfield would be that friend. Garfield is that friend. He's like, "Look, man, just like give back the ring and get your money back." And the second one, you're like, "What are you doing, Garfield? <laughs> what is what is this? This goes beyond." Just being a jealous cat, he's like, no, I actively want this to be about me all the time. <laughs> you know, he kicks the dog out of the house. You know, in the first one, I would say you know, it's maybe the writers had kids at the time and they were sort of putting yeah. their experience of having <laughs> yeah. having their second kid into the curmudgeonly kids. <laughs> so they have the kid who's like an aggressive curmudgeon. <laughs> And he's like, no, if anyone shows me kindness, I'm going to spit it in their face. <laughs> sure. Spit that kindness in their face, because that's the kind of cat that I am. Yeah. <laughs> For a children's film, a surprising amount of twerking before twerking was a mainstream thing. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of ass shaking. Uh, I guess, I mean, again, look. There's a lot of ser like serious issues that are invalidated by this being a kids movie. So let's just do random notes. <laughs> <'Cause they're fun. laughs> okay, so let me ask you this: What do you think of the voice performance by Bill Murray? Oh man, he's just by virtue of being Bill Murray, it's charming. You know what I mean? It's charming right. and it's aloof and it's all that stuff. But it's also phoning it in at the same time. Like, you can't fake that funk. Kind of, like, no matter how good you are at being charming, if you're given crap, like, you're gonna... You're not, not a lot of good attitude or riffing is gonna save it. Like, I read, like, a bunch of trivia because I was like, what am I gonna say about this before watching the movies? Right. And apparently Bill, apparently Bill Murray signed on to the first one because one of the names on the screenplay is a guy named Joel Cohen with an H. And Bill Murray thought, oh, it's John. It's, it's Joel, Joel Cohen, Cohen from of the, Co the Cohen brothers. 
He mistook it for one of the Cohen brothers. He didn't even read the script. He just said, yeah, I'll be Garfield if Joel Cohen is in it. <laughs> and, it and it turned out to not be Joel Cohen. And then for the that. second one, I have no idea. He must have been like hurting for cash. He must have been hurting for cash. But for the first one, at least, it's like, oh, I get dialogue written by Joel Cohen. Hell yeah. And it, it, it got him some job stability at the end of the day. Yeah, it probably paid for like a house or something or his. Does he have kids? I don't know. But for like his kids, private school tuition or whatever. Possibly. Which is like, fine, you know, like get that get that bag. Um, I, I like, have a note. The the villain has These... a line where he screams down the barrel of the camera, I hate lasagna. And that's how you know he's <laughs> yeah. the villain. That's how you know oh he's my God. the villain of Garfield. Oh my God. There's so many there's so many instances where Garfield like says a joke and then looks at the camera and, and it's it was very funny to me that's like uh he's man, he there's a scene where it's like, oh, imagine being commodified into like comics and media all over the world and then he looks at the camera like Garfield is not the most syndicated comic strip in the world. Well, yeah, I mean, that's I think that's supposed to be a little tongue in cheek, a little meta, if you will. Oh, a little a little meta, if you will. Um, yeah, I have a note here. I says uh, this song, this movie is immediately dated because the song Holla by the Baja Men is playing over the opening credits. And then the rest of the movie doesn't really do that much to become more timeless like it's very of its time oh for sure Again, oh the... for sure there's a couple of things in there let me tell you first of all we got oh yes usa flag tissue box right next to john's bed what the fuck is that <laughs> yeah does he jerk off while looking so... at the flag who knows let's keep going there is a scene in this film where garfield causes a massive accident inside of the house in this contraption and yeah, yeah, yeah. during this sequence where the house is being destroyed you see yeah. some burnt CDs falling to the ground and breaking, as well as a giant bowling ball. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff in John's house. So Which, they, by the way, I have another note. Those things date the movie very, very much. Very much. Um, I have another note. Uh, that house is huge for like a single dude with a cat. <laughs> that house is huge. Why does he he's, live in a cul-de-sac by a himself? Oh man, like what do what, what, what we find out? We never quite know what John's job is, but he he's very, very, very well off. He's a, he's got like a home office. He's got like a home office that's like right by the front door, which is like okay, sure. But like for like a single like a bachelor pad. That's a that's a really weird house for a bachelor pad. That looks like a family home. That, that looks like yeah, there's it's, so it's two stories. It's two stories tall, has so much stuff in it. It has all the stuff that you would expect from a family house. He goes like shopping the set multiple like, times a day as well. He goes, he goes shopping so many times a day. He buys so much food for one dude and, and a cat. I, I mean, um, that, yeah, that's that, kind of part of the joke, I think. You, know, that you have to feed Garfield loads of food in order to yeah, I, keep him happy. I know, I know. But still, like, uh, man, that house is so big. And, it's, and he lives on, like, a cul-de-sac. Um, so you know that the value of that house is even bigger. Um, so yeah, I have to find out what John's job is because we know what Liz's job is. We have no idea what John does for work. He doesn't even leave the house for work. He leaves the house to go to get groceries and he just, comes back. I just assume that he's a CEO of something. That, that's just, <laughs> he's, that he's was a CEO just my, of something. my assumption the entire time. 
give or maybe them. or maybe the economy in 2004 was just awesome because again this is pre-housing market crisis so maybe there housing was just there kicked. you go so maybe maybe in 2008 garfield <laughs> Odie, liz and john all had to move out of their home on the loan that he took they, out for it yeah, the the CDO in which their mortgage deal was in fell apart and failed because uh, <laughs> the fall rates went up above eight percent. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, maybe that's something that happened. But maybe maybe John is just killing it. We don't know. But it's just a very funny thing to me. It's like if you're a single dude and you need like a bachelor pad with a cat, like why would you get a house in a cul-de-sac? It's crazy. Um. Yeah. Another note that I have here. Uh. A lot of Garfield narration. A lot of Garfield narration to the point that I was like, can you just let us sit in silence for a second, Bill Murray? That, yeah, it, that, that's why I'm sort of mixed on the voice performance. It's certainly not Mel Gibson and Pocahontas, where he, where Mel Gibson is asleep at the wheel. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's so out. And when, and when Bill Murray is charismatic, I mean, it's, it's gold. Yeah, but when Bill Murray as Garfield is annoying, he look he annoys the fuck out of you. Even look, even Orson Welles giving his final gasps <laughs> of life oh, no. in the Transformers movie is so much better and intense and well performed than Bill Murray in this. Like you couldn't even do it at like an Orson Welles Transformers level. Like, oh, come on, man, come on, you're Bill Murray, man. All right. <laughs> All right. Your international treasure, Bill Murray. Um, uh, one more. No oh, uh, I have the dog that plays Odie. You're killing it. You're doing a great job, dog that plays Odie. So good. Yeah, that 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 uh that dog wrangler that proud took care of him. At least on screen, your work uh, looks good and it's appreciated. Yeah, one of the better dog performances in an otherwise bad movie. I think like this. I mean, one of the best dog performances I think ever, because he does multiple tricks. He he he's one of those animals in these types of movies that you don't have to animate the mouth opening and closing when they're doing the dialogue, because for some reason, every animal in this world talks except Bodhi. I have no idea Odie. why. It it really bothered me. But like this dog is killing it. He's like dragging the rope, and he's doing like there's a there's real emotionality to this dog without like dog <laughs> emoting, and it's like. <laughs> yeah he's he's like the dog from prey he's he's doing so much and so little he's, he's doing great um there's but, uh, uh, in, in uh, terms of the product product placement because obviously big studio movie a lot oh, of sponsors so there's some obvious yes. ones like petco and a uh, dog chow or i mean yeah it's yeah the main character is of the course cat. sure and yeah and sure a, yeah and you have a dog that comes in so petco and doc chow you know they make sense but then there's fucking goldfishes and i am sick and tired of people pretending like do those things taste good they're not they're oh, not i love them they are not a snack you want to share with a lady on a couch watching a film i'm sorry what I love goldfish. It's fucking suck, and I'm sick of hearing about it. Goldfish, if you're here listening, I fucking love goldfish. Send me goldfish. Don't send Max any goldfish. Send me goldfish, and I will love you till the end. I love goldfish. They're very nostalgic for me. I actually do like them. Uh, 
I would put them in a little Ziploc bag and take them to school. I love goldfish. So I'm sorry. We're not going to have this conversation right now because we're supposed to be talking about Garfield. But we're going to we're going to continue this conversation later. I have another note. Um, there's a scene in this movie where Odie rescues Garfield by licking uh, the under neck area of Luca, which is this dog that's trying to kill Garfield. And Luca reacts in a way that is almost sexual. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> what is going on here? He's like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the stuff. And I'm like, oh, stop it. This is a kid's movie, man. I have Very to be gross. honest. Very I, gross. I, I completely forgotten that that happened. Um, yeah, that dance scene with the black eyed peas. Crazy. It's, a, it's an insane, unhinged scene. And, and I don't and know, you know. I don't know how sequel. to get. The sequel has another song by the Black Eyed Peas. I hope that those royalties are coming in for them. Oh my god, I I hope so much. Because the Black Eyed Peas, I mean, since they kicked out Fergie, they're just not the same. You know what I mean? I don't think they kicked her out. I, I think it's probably more <laughs> more nuanced and complicated than that. But I I think Fergie is like, hey, did you see how I killed it in that national anthem? Oh. Yeah, I got I. I got something cooking. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave this thing because we're not. We're not doing stuff anymore. The black eyed peas are like okay. Um, what else? Yeah, that dance scene, real weird. A lot of, a lot of twerking, as you mentioned. Um. Okay, so let's get into stuff that's in the actual plot of this movie. So the, the inciting in. So like the inciting incident, at least for the villain of this movie. Um, he organizes this dog show. Um, well, and he, he doesn't all the organize dogs... it. The network that he works for does, and he's a judge. Oh on yeah, it. okay, sure, sure, sure. So he's a judge on a dog show, and Garfield does a couple of hijinks that scare all the other dogs off. And the Black Eyed Peas song is playing, so Odie is the only dog that participates in the dog show by dancing to it the way he danced to it in the house with Garfield. So yeah. Happy Chapman looks at the dog, and he's like. Now that's a star. <laughs> now that's that a star dog. that I can put on my show. I I need that dog. And he tells John, hey, this dog could be on TV. And John is like, but what if we don't? And Happy Chapman is like, well, if you ever think if you ever think differently, check me up. And you're like, well, this this guy is a totally normal guy. And then later in the movie, Odie goes missing. Happy Chapman sees a <laughs> something for this dog, and he's like, Oh my god, I remember him. It's that dog we everyone at that dog show give a standing O to for dancing to Black Eyed Peas. Not well, but <laughs> Which, Happy Chapman isn't the one who finds the uh, found dog sign it's his, on the street. It's, it's it, his assistant. It's his assistant or studio executive or whoever is constantly with him. Yeah. Yeah, it's his assistant, I think. And Happy Chapman is like, okay, two things, which are two insane things. One. I'm going to steal this dog because two, this dog is my ticket to an Emmy. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on here? What do these, I, these people work in Emmy. show business. These people work in show business. They know how Emmys work. They know how people win Emmys, right? Yeah. But, but I have to be honest. I, I don't know so much about daytime Emmys. I'm sure there could possibly be a category for, best morning show segment or best guest performance yeah. on a morning show and that best dance by a dog best dancing dog um yeah no so happy chat man kidnaps his dog he basically goes to this house and he's like 
no, this is my dog, Odie, and the woman th that took Odie in and rescued him and gives him to Happy Chapman. Zero, zero background checks. It's zero like, background okay, checks, whatever. but also she's old and he's famous. <laughs> she's old and he's famous. So I guess that counts. Um, so Happy Chapman takes Odie back and he pulls out of his desk like a briefcase containing a shock collar, which is like, oh, he had that ready to go like the same way Cruella DeVille has like a bunch of, I guess, Dalmatian skinning tools in her house. <laughs> I, I with a shock car, I'd like to think that he had it there for himself for some sort of uh pleasurable experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very strange. Um yeah, no, the the villain of this movie, like, they go from zero to a hundred with that guy immediately. Like the most pathetic loser that's also like a sadistic, depraved bastard. And Completely like his motive over the top. Completely over the top. And his motivation is like his his brother is the one that has like the hair genes and the one that's like actually on the news. You know what I mean? Like like he's famous my, and respected. My brother my brother gets to be on the news and I have to act with a cat that I'm allergic to. It's like you should be acting with something you're allergic to. Don't you have like union representation, buddy? Come on, man. And there I bet you in two thousand four there were these pills that you can take that counteract <laughs> yeah, your allergies at least a little bit yeah. you know what i mean very very funny to me um another note uh the villain is so weird it's so over the top and cartoonish if everything in this movie was at that level of cartoonish this would be fun um another joke it almost Garfield is makes a... it almost is i would argue almost is it it skates that line doesn't do it great uh garfield makes a suicide joke near the end of the movie Wait, um, what? Which one was that? He's he's in like a he's like in the pound with the cat that that uh is trained in theater, which I was like, I don't even wanna I don't even wanna dig into that. But he's like, does anybody have a pair of but Garfield is like in his in his like cage and he's like, Does anybody have a pair of shoelaces? That's right. And I was like, Oh, he just made a joke about hanging himself <laughs> which is crazy. Damn. It's very weird. So uh, I think we should go to number two, which... Um, Let's go to number two. Garfield number or, two. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Garfield colon A Tale of Two Kitties. And Garfield A Tale of Two Kitties is about the following. John, Garfield's <laughs> owner, <laughs> yeah. wants to propose to his now partner, life partner, Liz. Yes. She his, gets His invited. girlfriend, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah. She, she gets invited to... Yeah. And the estate of a royal in England. <laughs> this royal. A has... member of British nobility, yes. Yeah, exactly. A, a recently royal... deceased member of British nobility. There you go. And this person has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this person has a lot of animals on their land, which is presumably why they would even visit this uh, person in the first place. And yeah. John decides to follow Liz because he wants to propose to her. Yes. And Garfield and Odie follow him. Well, yeah. John tries to drop them off, drop them off at a kennel service. They break out. A very fancy kennel service, by the way. I mean, John, John is a billionaire, so obviously... <laughs> <laughs> John, John, John is a billionaire. John is so doing obviously look, he can he, John, he can afford that kind John of John is doing John is killing it, yeah. 
that's that's a that's a great point. Yeah, John is apparently killing it. Like he's got a lot of free time in the daytime. Or he <laughs> has a bunch of unpaid credit cards. That could also be the case. <laughs> he could he could be defaulting on his subprime mortgages. So like <laughs> he, he could he could be he could be spiking up on his delinquencies ninety day late fate fees and stuff. So like that. anyway, Garfield and Odie follow John to London. And there is the favorite animal of this recently deceased British aristocrat was a cat Uh that looks exactly like Garfield. Exactly like Garfield. And that is where you have your movie. You have a little mix-up where the cat gets thrown out by the nephew of this deceased British noble person who wants to sell off the castle to turn it into a resort. But a, re- a resort and spa. <laughs> British aristocrat descendant left the entire inheritance to the cat. So he tries to get rid of the cat, but Garfield arrives at the castle around the same time, and that's where your mix-up happens. So now this British royal person, or rather the, the nephew of the British royal person, is trying to prove that the cat has gone missing in order for the estate to be put into his name. And the local animals are trying to prevent that from happening. So when Garfield shows up at their castle, they just sort of welcome him and keep him around in order for the nephew to think that the cat is still there and that the estate doesn't get written over. So at the end, all the main characters converge at the castle, both Garfield and the royal cat that's called Prince, and kind of looks like Garfield, as well as the nephew of the deceased person, John, Liz, and the lawyers of the nephew who are there to uh, grant Sign the castle over to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However... Since there are two Garf, uh, two Garfield-looking cats. cats there, that doesn't happen. The nephew gets taken away by authorities. John proposes to Liz in this beautiful English castle, and they have a big old party afterwards. The end. This sequel, right? Yeah. They let you know from the very start what sort of classic story they're they're riffing on. Right, it's <laughs> yeah. it's the prince and the uh, popper. Popper. P a u p e r. Yeah. Pop. Okay, the prince and the popper. That's the little twist that they're doing here. <laughs> R- right off the back, there's actually something that I found really funny when Garfield and Odie are at the kennel. He yeah. is re- he is yelling and rattling the cage and yelling the Miranda Wright speech that a lot of movie <laughs> cops give. And that's sort of an indicator, yeah, he's... but he's just copying what he sees on TV. He doesn't actually know what that means. I thought that was a clever gag. Yeah, that's a, that's a funny joke. He, he uh, goes, I, I have the to... right to remain silent. So, you know <laughs> what I mean? This Yeah, to me... It... There's a lot of stuff like with Garfield in general. Like in the first one, he doesn't know how a map works, but he knows what the Miranda rights are. 
he knows uh, what lang- different languages are because later in the in this very movie he's like in the prison cell in the dungeon he's like I'm gonna take the time to like lose 20 pounds so he knows what pounds are and he's also like I'm gonna learn five languages and you're like oh he knows that there are more than there's more than one language but he doesn't know how a map works it was it was well, very well, strange yeah I mean they're not they're not a lot of maps on TV but I bet you the biggest loser was on and Garfield was an avid watcher. And he might have stumbled yeah. upon a French movie on on the Cinemax channel whilst hovering through cable. <laughs> he he's a he's a cultured fan of cinema. He's a well, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that cinema. far. I would say I I think he he probably just stumbled into it and just sort of realized okay, people talk different in other places. Do you think Do you think he likes Life Aquatic or Lost in Translation? <laughs> You, think you know Garfield what? You know what? I think I think he, I think he's a bit more of a Rushmore guy. I think he's into Wes Anderson's <laughs> early work. I think he likes Rushmore, <laughs> Ghostbusters, big one for Garfield as well. Oh, that's that's a big one for Garfield, but nothing really compares to like Bottle Rocket. You know what I mean? Like Bottle Rocket is really really in his zone. Actually, Garfield doesn't like Bottle Rocket. I don't know for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't I don't know why he wouldn't like it. But apparently, if we're judging it by that joke, you did you didn't have to retake. Um, he also wouldn't like either of the Garfield movies, so you know. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! Is is Bill Murray in Bottle Rocket? I don't know, but Bill Bill Murray is in both these Garfield movies. That's yeah, all yeah, I know for that, sure. We've established that earlier, and the joke that we did was that oh, you know what? He's, he he, he he's really likes Rushmore, movies right? with he's, Bill Murray in it. He really likes oh, movies. With Bill. Okay. Oh, that wasn't the okay, joke yeah. that you were doing. No, 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 that wasn't the joke. I was like, oh, I, if you're like, he doesn't like Bottle Rocket. I, I don't, I didn't get what your joke was at the beginning. On and it's like, oh, it's not that Bill Murray doesn't like Bottle Rocket. It's that Garfield doesn't like Bottle Rocket because Bill Murray isn't in it. Exactly. That's what I was going. That's for. what the joke is. Okay. So let's ignore that and let's keep talking about Garfield Two: A Tale of Two Kitties. Um. <laughs> As far as like good stuff goes, I like the animated opening. I like the little animated opening that they do with like the little storybook things. That's a good thing that I said from the very beginning. And then this movie devolved into madness. This movie devolved into total insanity by the point that it We've ended. seen more insane films in this yeah. series. There's a couple of egregious things, though, that I think we're going to get into in, in a bit. I... I like this movie just because of how crazy it is. Like, the fact that it's a Garfield movie and it's so centered in, like, stereotypical British royalty things. The fact that it does that and the way that it ends with that Quentin Tarantino-ass Mexican standoff with two crossbows. I was like, is this a Garfield movie? What's going on here? Yeah. I was very, very weirded out. And I enjoyed the movie just on sheer weirdness. But then the weirdness gave way to like, oh man, this sucks. You know what I mean? Possibly. Yeah, this one probably. Takes... Again, this was to me. Yeah, this is a children's film. Yeah, uh, it's a children's if, film. If I if if present day me saw this in theaters in two thousand and six by himself, he'd probably be put on some sort of list. Like, yeah. why um... why is a twenty five year old man going to see? Garfield, this is a kids' film. What 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 are you hiding? <laughs> yeah, we'd we'd be put on like government watch list. We'd be put on like, hey, 
You know the 200 serial killers that are roaming around the world at all times? This guy might be one of them. Exactly. <laughs> this Garfield. Yeah. This, Garf um, this Garfield liking creep. Yeah. Uh, I have one good note is that Bill Murray is doing a little bit of a better job in this one, I feel. But also, he's joined by the man, the myth, the legend, one of the most talented men. One of the most talented human beings is of all of entertainment. Tim Curry as the other cat, as Prince, the 12th. When I learned that Tim Curry was the other cat, I was like, what? Why did they drag poor, poor Tim Curry into this? Well, like, they got a bigger oh my budget God. for the sequel. Tim Curry is killing it in this movie. He does this voice the whole movie, and he's consistent. And I was like, oh my God, I'm loving this voice Tim Curry is doing. Oh my God. I love Tim Curry just in general. Um, I mean, who doesn't? He's amazing. He's but, uh, fantastic. He's so good. He he gives one of the best performances in an otherwise bad movie in a movie called Command and Conquer Red Alert 2, where he's just playing like a Soviet general. He's just playing like a Soviet general in like a screen, and he's like, I'm going to the only place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. Space! <laughs> and then he starts <laughs> laughing maniacally. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. It's wonderful. It's so it's so great. I, I love Tim Curry. And the fact that he's like doing this ridiculous voice the whole movie, I was like, yeah, Tim Curry is killing it. Tim Curry's doing so good in this movie. And everyone else is like, oh man, everyone else is I mean, Tim Curry is a chameleon to begin with. But like everyone else except for Bill Murray, who he's just playing himself, is unrecognizable. And we'll get into that later, into the in the random notes. But I just wanted to say Tim Curry. Man, my hat hats off to that guy. That guy's awesome. I mean, yeah, all basically all the human characters except for the main villain in both of these again <laughs> yeah. are like hollow shells of people that we don't really yeah, know yeah, yeah. anything about. Again, the same way that John is probably killing it or has seven credit cards and that's why he can just afford to go to London <laughs> yeah. on a whim. The, the same thing applies to Liz, and I'm, I'm not trying to take anything away from her. She appears to be killing it. She was a judge at the dog show in the last film. This yeah, time she's, she's getting vet, invited right? for doing like humanitarian work with animals. That's um. But but she's like a vet. She's like a neighborhood vet. That's right? that's on. That's apparently she's a really 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 good vet. She's the best vet ever. She's such a good vet that like. The, uh, this baroness in England is like, hey, before I die, call that vet, <laughs> bring her over with a bunch of people that are like animal conservancy people, and this normal ass vet who's so good at being a vet, we're gonna we're gonna invite her to to mingle with royalty. In fact, her work as a veterinarian is the primary reason why animals have not all gone extinct in the United States. So bring her over. <laughs> <laughs> bring bring her over to this palace that it, that my nephew wants to turn into a resort, and that's why I'm inheriting it to a cat. Oh, I'm dying. I'm a woman. I'm an old woman, and I'm dying. <laughs> oh, yeah. look at the time. I, I gotta go. I think there there's a prince joke in here somewhere, as in the singer prince. Yes, there's a prince joke. Where... They go, uh, the cat formerly known as prince, or something exactly. like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, wrote that, I wrote that too. Funny joke. Um, uh, there's a lot of stereotypical British things in this movie. 
that I found very charming and dumb for like, oh, dumb Americans making a, a, a movie about people in another country. It's sure. just like the accents and the fact that the bellboy is so like, oh, you're like Hugh Grant. Oh, no, you're like Harry Grant. The, 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 oh, the fact come that here, the bellboy gonna... even indulges John is like, okay, come on. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, so let's go into random notes. Because um, <laughs> <I laughs> right mean, away. Again, this, again, this movie's crazy. So, so, uh, again, so, let, so let me go with my big observation. I bet you noticed this as well. Uh, yeah. Women just kind of disappear into the royal nephew's castle for hours on <laughs> <Yeah>. end <laughs> and are forgotten yeah. while giant chunks of the plot happen. He has this yeah, business partner true. that he sort of, you know, he, he's a sleazy kind of guy. So he flirts with her immediately and yeah. is sort of, you know, grabbing, uh, grab, grabbing her shoulders and leading her from room to room. And then there's this entire montage where Garfield starts living at the castle. And then when the montage yeah, yeah, is yeah. over and it's sort of implied that it's multiple me meals, multiple days have gone by. You see then the royal nephew leading this woman out of the castle in the same outfit that she came in with oh. presumably days later. <laughs> so yeah, women disappear into this man's castle for hours at a time because the same thing happens with Liz at the end of the film. But the reason that do, she's there I, is that so she can be proposed to in the castle. That that's that's the real reason. Yeah, I but she also disappeared for hours on end. Her entire group that she came to the castle with is gone by that time. <laughs> yeah, they're all they all vanish. Like I wrote here a note of like I like the B stories of like Dargis because that's his name. His name is Dargis. Dargis. Um. Huh. Which is which sounds like a made up name. I mean, all names are made up. All names. But are like made his up. name was very. But his name is like oh, what's a British name? Dargis. Dargis. Yes, Dargis. It's an old timey British name. So Dargis, uh, I like the B story of him having zero riz because he's starting like he has negative riz. He's like trying to charm this business partner and the business partner is like i'm already like in a relationship and the and this baron is like well so am i taken with you and then liz arrives later and he's like oh can i offer you something to drink and she's like um actually like like she's she's like that and the other b story which is that like despite having no riz john keeps like either john has no riz and he's terrible at this relationship thing or he has so much riz that this veterinarian that looks like Jennifer Love Hewitt is just like putting up with his like bumbling behavior and his clear dependency or nasty codependent relationship with his two pets that he's harboring in his house. Um, yeah, man, I just like those B stories having to do with like guys with bad riz. <laughs> it just made yeah, me very. It just it, made me laugh. The subplots are all about men trying to save face. <laughs> Yeah, it's all about that. It's great. It's so good. Whether it was intentional or not, we don't really know. But we established earlier that John is killing it. So obviously I mean, he, he has all the Riz in the world. He's the Riz king of 2006. Yeah. Um, I can't believe so I just said I... that out loud. I, I, I swear <laughs> I'll never say yeah. Riz again ever in my life. So uh, Dargis, his inheritance is like, oh, you can keep living in this castle and we're going to give you 50 pounds a week. I'm like, what? <laughs> that's that's funny, though. That's funny. Uh, 
Anyway, that's, it's he, a he, funny he, he joke. A, he's a shitty man, and he apparently was also a shitty nephew. He was a shitty nephew, but it does strike the question of like, well, if you live in a castle, 50 pounds a week, it's that's pocket money. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. When's he ever going to leave that castle one? And like, even though he has 50 pounds a week, he can still like order the butler around. So like, you're, you're doing great, man. Stop complaining. Yeah. You can I mean, probably manage the cat's estate. Like the cat can hire you to manage the estate, but you're too short-sighted in trying to make a resort and spa in the middle of England where no one wants a resort and spa. Which, uh, again, it's also something that maybe... Like, you know, maybe in Cornwall, in, 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 maybe. In, maybe in Cornwall you can, you can do a resort and spa, but in the middle of London... Buddy. In the middle of London? Buddy. Yeah, no. There's a reason miles they didn't London? give you the land. You know what I mean? Yeah. Very weird. Um, So I want to go really quick into the cast stuff. Because I did think uh, the only uh, live action actor that I think really gets a lot to do in terms of shtick is Billy Connolly, who plays Dargis. Sure. But then you check the voice cast. And I was checking the voice cast. And I didn't know Tim Curry was in this movie. Like halfway through the movie, I'm like, I'm going to look this up on Wikipedia. And when I saw Tim Curry, I'm like, what? Tim Curry? And then I kept reading the list. Bob Hoskins. I think Sharon Reese Osborne I as well, right? Sharon Osborne, Reese Iffens. Um, Damn straight. Vinnie Jones. Vinnie Richard Jones as, e. as, the, as the big dumb dog. That is the Lionel carryover. The the dog looks exactly like Lionel from the first film, but is British and talks less in this one. Yeah. And Richard E. Grant plays that weird-ass parrot that's all the time being, like, neurotic and trying to usurp the throne of Prince. <laughs> and I was like, what a waste of Bob Hoskins. But, like, late career Bob Hoskins is, like, did you, like, his final role was, like, Snow White and the Huntsman. Really? And I was like, What? Yeah, Bob Damn. Hoskins? Why would you do that to Bob Hoskins? He's Eddie Valentine, man. How do you do that to him? <laughs> or Eddie Valiant. Sorry, Valentine. Eddie Valiant. I'm a fucking dumbass. The, the Chronicles of Eddie Valentine coming to BBC3. Yes. They're going to use an AI version of uh, Bob Hoskins to make them. Even um, though Bob Hoskins didn't even play that specific character. <laughs> um... Yeah, uh, another note. It's the dumb, this is a kid's movie note. I put in parentheses, this is a kid's movie. Is it legal for a cat to inherit an entire estate? Maybe very, yeah, I thought it was yeah, very Yeah, that, 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 that's sort of, that's, that's the very high level of suspension of disbelief you have to go into yeah. for a kid's movie. <laughs> very, very high. Yeah, um, a lot of B-roll of London, a lot of B-roll of London and a lot of Londonisms. Listen, um, London is a beautiful city, man. It's a beautiful city. I did like. I do like it a lot. Um, I, I I would set a movie in Mexico and have some B roll in London as well, just you know, just in case, <laughs> so just, for the audience to have some pretty yeah. images to look at. Very very experimental. Um, oh, there's a scene where they imply that Prince is an ex drug addict because they're like, oh my god, he's back on the catnip, but you're like, oh man, <laughs> what are they doing? Yikes. Very serious topic. Well, hey, he, you know, um, Prince has lived a very long and full life. That's why yeah, he's ready. Very long and full life. That's why he's ready <laughs> to lead this castle. To lead. 
<laughs> and he goes to the barnyard animals and I have, and he's like, I have, I'm going to rule with peace and serenity and justice. And you're like, and what? You're a fucking cat. <laughs> what are you going to do? When, look, when Mufasa from The Lion King has more explicit political responsibilities than you, you know you're in trouble. You know you're in trouble. Because, <laughs> like, Mufasa's just like, everything the light touches is our kingdom. You're like, what, man? I'm sorry? Well, yeah. It, we, sh we should not get into the functionality of the politics of these worlds. <laughs> yeah. Because we'll get yeah, lost, yeah, yeah. completely lost in it, and how nonsensical it truly is. I have a note. Uh, so the cat's name is Prince the Twelve, which uh, makes me believe one of two things. One is because they do this whole scene where he's like, where they look at Garfield and he's like, hey, look at all this ancestry you have. Like they go into a hallway with all like the, all of Garfield and Prince's ancestors or whatever. Yeah. And they go, look at this ancestry. So one of the two things is like, oh, there's been like Prince the Twelve is his like regnal name or whatever and there's been other cats in that bloodline that have also been named prince and he's the 12th of them or yeah I, the, that's what i thought the as well. owner or the owner who just died has had 12 cats named prince and it's just <laughs> the latest one in a in a long long string of tragic tragic deaths of cats <laughs> That's and then funnier. I had to do that's, the math that's of like. That's a lot funnier, to be fair. <laughs> that's a lot funnier. That's a lot funnier. But that means that this woman died at 113 or something, or like 140, because she's because they do in this movie be like, oh no, these cats live for like 13 years, so like that means that this woman has had a cat, that this woman must have had a cat from age zero to age 140 for this to even make sense. But it, it was a much funnier answer to me to be like, no, she's had 12 cats all named Prince. Kind of like how uh, Geralt in The Witcher, like his horse is named Roach. And then Roach dies. He buys another horse and also names it Roach. I thought it, I, I thought the same thing immediately. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that very, very fast. Amazing connection that you made there. Um, uh, how does Garfield know how to make lasagna? That was a that was a funny thing. food network. That's a whole scene. He watches food a whole network. lot of Food okay. Network, bro. Okay, solved. Um, <laughs> let's go. Let's go into the ending of this movie because I thought it was very funny. Uh, so the the plan at the end, when the two cats reunite, they're like, "We're gonna save this estate," and the way we're gonna do it is we're gonna do it in the same way that Woody and Buzz do at the ending of Toy Story, which is to slowly drain the sanity and the dignity from this guy that's been tormenting them. So they just start torturing him, like mentally torturing him by just like running around the house and like making him like smash his face into armor and stuff to the point that he's bitten to shit by his own dog. And then he returns to the room. And he's like, this fucking cat won't die. And he pulls out a crossbow and holds the solicitors at like gunpoint with the crossbow. And I was like, what the fuck is going on with the ending of this movie? So they they took and they attacked and tortured an already very unhinged person. <laughs> yeah. Which is the same with as Sid in Toy Story. And then he go. became a garbage man. He became a garbage delivery man. Wait, Sid? Yeah. The, Toy Story 3, he's supposedly the guy that takes out the trash or something. Oh, wow. Huh. Didn't notice that. 
Yeah, but they traumatize him for life. And this guy is like, by the end of the movie, he's like broken. He's like, oh, this, this fucking cat. And he just pulls out a crossbow. He's like, no, you random woman, you've betrayed me. <laughs> you go, go stand with you all those. You sign over the estate right now, whether the cat lives or not. <laughs> whether the cat lives or not, just sign the estate to me. Yeah. It's, it, it, was just, it was just very funny. And then John walks in with another crossbow. And right before that, he's like in a car going to the Carlisle estate and he runs into the butler and he's like, have you seen this cat? And the, and the butler is like, oh, no, that's the cat from my house. And John is like, no, I have a cat that that looks exactly like this. And then Smithy is like, so you're saying my cat has been replaced with a doppelganger? Like he immediately goes for doppelganger. And then John is like, no, I'm saying there's a cat that looks exactly like your cat. And then mentally, I was like, "That's what a dumb American." That's that's what that's what a doppelganger means. But again, John is killing it, so I'm not judging him. John is doing great. John is doing so good. Um, yeah, and the entire finale of like how he walks in with a crossbow, and then he the and then Darges drops the crossbow and he pulls out like a blunderbuss, like an open mouthed musket or something. Yeah, and then Liz like, walks in and says, Oh, what is going on? I've been locked in this <laughs> castle for days. <laughs> I've, been lost. I've been locked in this castle by this wristless man for days. What's going on? And then Darges takes her hostage. And then the ferret goes up his pant leg and like bites him in the ass. But the entire ending is very Quentin Tarantino-ish. Like two dudes pointing guns sure. at each other waiting for the misunderstanding to solve itself. And I was like, what, what is going on here? It's it's crazy. It's not exciting enough to, you know, create this sort of like level of enthusiasm for the movie on my end personally. But it certainly is something. It's cer it's certainly something. Like I was I I've again I've watched these two movies when I was a kid several times. And I just didn't remember them. Like, I blocked them out of my memory because I was like, oh, those Garfield movies are kind of bad. But I was watching this and I was like, this movie is so much more unhinged than I previously thought. Because, like, again, the entire finale is like, what is going on? What, What is this? Like, they could have had it be more wholesome. And then they start pointing, like, crossbows at each other. Like, John is, like, holding a crossbow with, like, a hair trigger on this British lord that's holding his girlfriend hostage with a blunderbuss. And you're like, this is not a Garfield movie. This is this is like Reservoir Dogs, <laughs> like, instantly. What's the going on? The same way that the first film could have ended with a massive train wreck and thousands of people dying, this could have ended oh, yes. with a massacre inside of a old British castle. Yeah, and as the castle goes up in flames, only John, Liz, and the animals walk out triumphantly. Um... And Garfield yeah, and also, Prince are dead, or yeah, there's also like a bunch of there's a bunch of artwork that is recklessly destroyed in this movie. There's yeah. just like a bunch of a bunch of recklessly destroyed artwork of Garfield's ancestors, by the way. Well, he, he, Garfield himself clearly doesn't care that much about his ancestry <laughs> or about any, anything or anyone at all. At the start no of one. films, that's all. That's that's his character arc. That at the start he does really care, and by the end he learns to care. <laughs> yeah, and that that's a character arc, folks. You got in anything a, more to say about this movie, film. Max? In a children's film, 
you know? Yeah, because children really empathize with nihilism. Sure. <laughs> so... You got any more notes, Max? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, during the final confrontation, a bunch of animals... Well, after it's over, and the... Uh, Mr. Darge is dragged away by the authorities. A bunch of animals walk into the room. And for some reason, that isn't terrifying to everyone. That's fine. You know, a couple of them are involved in animal advocacy. But they do hover slightly above the floor when they walk in. Yeah, there's, they're very CGI. Very yeah. noticeably CGI. Yeah, but they, they might have um, recorded these animals on a green screen stage and... You know, the technology to sort of composite them in properly yeah. probably wasn't there yet. That's like maybe the actual castle where they filmed is just like no animals allowed, and they just filmed all the animals in like a different barn or whatever. Probably. Yeah. Also, there's like a ferret and a parrot, like constantly, <laughs> in like having like uh, normal conversations with these, like because they have normal barnyard animals. And then there's like a ferret and a parrot, and I was like, "What kind? What what castle is this?" Well, it's a British like, castle, castle where this? they'll take any animal they can get their hands on. Oh yeah, that's that's a British thing. That's right. There you go. <laughs> I, I I had one final note. Um, Please. Before we before we go on, um, this movie is more of an indictment on the ridiculousness of British royalty than anything that's ever happened in real life. <laughs> wow. Well. the fact that they, they inherit a castle to a cat, man. Like, do you think Queen Elizabeth wouldn't, would have, wouldn't have inherited her estate to her corgis if she was able to instead of Queen Charles? I mean, honestly, that, that would be funnier than our current reality. <laughs> that would be way so funnier. I'm not that mad that at would it. Be, that would be one, way funnier. But I did think it was like, no, it's a very, it's a very like funny version of how ridiculous it is. Because again, if you see it this way, like Prince doesn't really have any responsibilities except to walk out to a fanfare and be like, hey, everybody, we are doing great. And everyone's like, hooray. And then he goes back to sleep and eating his disgusting liver and spleen log. <laughs> and like, That's the monarchy for you. That's the mon exactly. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. It's like, oh, if this was made with purpose, like this is a fun allegory for like modern British monarchy. But this was two thousand and four, two thousand and six for the sequel. Yeah, two thousand and six, and we weren't as cynical. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and that's yeah, and that's all we have to was say still on fresh. the Garfield franchise. Yeah, oh, I guess that's, so. That's all any. That's all anyone has to say about the Garfield franchise, if we're being honest. Uh, Max, this was a wonderful chat to have with you, but yeah. despite the technical difficulties, this was a very fun conversation to have about Garfield and about Darges and about Quentin Tarantino somehow. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of manual TV channel switching in this episode, but you know what? Who cares? Who cares? We have free time. And by we, I mean Max, because he's the one that edits this. <laughs> so... For the poll for next week, I have a list of films Yes. that we can have a look at. For next yes. week, I give you, to oh, replace the Garfield next. franchise, the 1999 Shark 
adventure science fiction film Deep Blue Sea starring Tom Jane, uh, oh, starring yeah. Sharon Burroughs. Uh, LL Cool J. LL Cool J. Yeah. Stellar Skateboard. A Stellar lot of people, <laughs> turns out, are in this movie. And the premise by itself is ridiculous. It's a team of researchers looking for the cure for Alzheimer's whilst working with sharks, and they accidentally create yeah. a couple of super smart sharks. And, yes. uh, well, shark attacks and hijinks ensue. So, yes. what do you think? Deep Blue Sea for the poll? Oh, I any movie with Stellan Skarsgård, a.k.a. Stellar Skateboard, is going to be high on my list. So, yes, let's do Deep Blue Sea. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm so into that movie, actually, so that's going to be a fun little treat for next week. If it's the film that is picked, remember, you can participate in the poll on social media. Pat, where can people find you on social media? Oh, my God. Uh, you can find me at Pat is an idiot on most social media platforms, but not really. Really just Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd. I think I'm also under Pat is an idiot, but if not, just look up Pat Magaña, the one with a cartoon profile picture. That's me. All right. And Max, I got an important question for you. Where can people find you? People can find me on at MassWare on Instagram, at MassWare11 on the aforementioned Letterboxd. Thank you to yeah. everybody for listening once more. Thank you. Subscribe on your favorite platform. Tell a friend about the podcast. And then tell another friend. Tell all of your friends. Uh, listen to us multiple times. Uh, <laughs> And watch the Garfield movies, because we had to. We had to watch them, so you have to watch them now, too. Please, please just, like, just watch the second one. The second one's crazy. The second one's real weird. Or don't. And, or don't. Or, and that's how we'll sign off this week. Have a wonderful time. <laughs> watch and... these movies or don't. <laughs> exactly. A, that, and that's the Max Elbeck message. <laughs> or don't. Use your time. <laughs> in another way read something or like uh read touch Garfield comic books touch some grass make fists with your toes when you get off the plane um i don't know do other stuff Have some and fun. we will listen to each other once more next week yes have a great day goodbye, goodbye everyone